Salutations, listeners. See Valas Vallejo. Nanu Nanu. Valamagulis. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> this is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Carpidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Action Jackson. It's just like we had to we had to put a little bit more flair, a little bit of mustard on that. A little bit of mustard. Um I hope you you do know who we are. By now, all of our four listeners. In this podcast, we review movies and we like to deliver to you, the listener. An average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In the show, we try and target movies that are not blockbuster smashes. We also try and target ones that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy if you wanted to. Instead, we aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies uh, right in the middle. Good, but also accessible. Uh, We review them, and we deliver to you our take on whether or not they're worth uh, dusting off, pulling out of the closet, throwing on the old phonograph, and uh, listening to, watching again. In this, the 16th episode of the series, we reviewed the movie October Sky. Fantastic movie. It really is. So I feel like this is almost cheating a little bit because this movie, like I almost said this to you guys beforehand, like I I love this movie, but I feel like this movie is like bigger than what we normally aim for. Yeah. This movie like won awards and shit and like is very high profile. Yeah, I don't think it detracts from it though. Not at all. I mean, uh, I think the the reasons that I personally want to want to talk about with this movie are a little deeper. It's it's not a fluffy movie for me. No, and I I gotta say like it's one of those movies. I do think it does belong in our in our list because it's one of those movies where a lot of people have seen it. I think a higher proportion have seen it than have seen a lot of the other movies that we review. However, if you haven't seen it, like run. Oh yeah, and see this movie. Yeah, do not walk. Bowl over old ladies, you know, do whatever you can to get as to the video store as quickly as possible. Just shoot like a rocket out to the video store. Honestly, now, that's that's a good strategy. A video store. This is a store where you purchase the video? Correct. <laughs> yes. This was, uh, all, you know, all these kids today with their compute machines and the yeah. damn googlies. Like, it's like an analog Netflix? <laughs> yeah, exactly more or less. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Are you familiar with VHS, Mark? VH. S? Yes. Yeah. It's pronounced Vus. Vus. Victor Hugo Sam. That's right. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. So <laughs> this movie is back just on fantastic. Track. One of the things, this isn't a spoiler or anything like that. One of the things that I loved most about this movie is that like the, the characters feel so real and so like complex. Yeah. Characters are complex. They're they're weighty. Like they're just they're good. They're well, real and, people. And it mm-hmm. helps that they're based off of a true story i mean all these characters are or at least were real people so that definitely adds to the the depth of their character yeah so i'm imdb so this is a 1999 film rated pg yeah yeah i think pg yeah there's really nothing That's offensive fine. no yes. hour and 48 minutes it does not feel like no. that feels like an hour and 20 maybe like this movie goes along at a clip and it i, I don't know i at least for me personally, I find inspirational movies like this, which this is definitely an inspirational type movie, drags me along a lot faster than most movies do. Yeah, I think some movies that are you know based on true events kind of turn into like biopics, and I don't feel like this was one of those. Even though it was based on, on true events, like you said, it moved along at a clip, it told its story, and then it concluded. Yeah, it was fantastic. Sort of, it was in a very neat package, especially time, for like a true story. Time just flew by while watching this movie. You, you might say it was strapped to a rocket. Yeah, uh, it's just sword. So, IMDb's got this as biography drama family. I don't know if I'd put it in that order. I'd, I'd probably put drama family biography. Just yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're gonna rank order, it probably. 
Was it, again, it didn't feel like, like a biography. It didn't feel like a documentary. It doesn't say documentary, but like it felt like a fleshed out story. There's a distinction, at least in my opinion. You know, you're not just retreading events and like, it was drama. There was They're not just pulling it out of a book and reading it, yeah. you know, on the screen. That's It was not dry. Right. The IMDb description has this as, The true story of Homer Hickam, a coal miner's son who was inspired by the first Sputnik launch to take up rocketry against his father's wishes. Damn, that is tight. That yeah. is like that is exactly yep. what this movie is about. The no fat added. Like this is the lean core version. This is the George yeah. Foreman of movie summaries. Yeah. yeah. Knocks out the fat. Yeah. Ain't no fat. Ain't no fat. The lean mean movie machine. You know what? I, I don't think we do good George Foreman impressions. That's that's a fact. I think we've I, lost him as a listener. We've still got Tyson though. Tyson is that's still true. on, yeah. on okay. the listener list. Sends One of me. the He's one of the four. Sends me Morton Topics once a week. Yes. I heard, actually, that once he defeats somebody with a Morton Stowe, he takes it as a trophy. And when he collects ten of them, he's going to replace his fingers with them. And we're all in trouble then. Because yeah. everybody knows a fistful of Morton Toes. I mean, you could, you could punch through concrete with those things. You could, <sighs> yeah. You could stop an F-16 fighter jet with your bare hands with, with yeah. ten Morton Toe fingers. You can pick up an F-150 with one pinky. That's about the most terrifying image I've ever thought of. Mike Tyson with Morton toe fingers? Yeah, just just a hand with a bunch of toe fingers. Yeah. But all the same toe. Yeah. So it's like a oddly symmetrical, like, <laughs> yeah. grabbing mitt. It's hauntingly beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, have you ever seen an anemone just kind of, like, drifting in the, the ocean currents? It's like a jellyfish. It's a little like, like that. that. Oh, yeah, except God. it's not pink. It's it's actually probably multicolored, because i got to imagine all the toes that he collects are not from the same, like, yeah. like demographics. Yeah. So Combination skin. Yes. I don't yeah. like that. I don't like that one bit. <laughs> okay, Sam, I am. No. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so I do not like this Morton Stowe I do not like it so 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 so, so. <laughs> oh fantastic um, yeah so um back on track back on track where were we which track uh October Sky how about the how about the cast Let's, oh like, yeah oh it's phenomenal fucking rage on the cast here for a minute so we got Jake Gyllenhaal big name you know, you don't really need to say where he's from, but I mean, you know, pick your poison, Donnie Darko. Most recently, he was in uh, the Spider-Man franchise as Mysterio. Terribly mysterious. Well, he is mysterious. Terribly mysterious. <laughs> um, we also had Chris Cooper in this, uh, who played his dad. Phenomenal. Oh, I mean, Chris Cooper's so good. He was in The Patriot. If you've seen that movie, he was oh. uh, the commander of the Continental Forces. Yeah. He was in Breach, which is also on our list to review. Excellent movie. Uh, with Laura Linney. Dude, Chris Cooper is just... He's so, like, cutting. He's got that stare where, like, if he held it on you, you'd probably catch fire. Yeah. yeah. Most recently, he was in a couple of blockbusters, though. He was in uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks, and he was in Little Women. Both breakout movies this year, actually. Yeah. I think one of the things that I appreciated most about his performance in this is I think if you were to go back through and, and tally up how often, like, what his screen time actually was, I, I would say he, he didn't have a whole lot of screen time, but every time he was on the screen, he delivered... I'll just leave it right there. He delivered. He was punching know. above his weight in this movie for sure. Yeah. I think like maybe something analogous would be, it's always surprising to tell people that in Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton only has like 17 minutes of screen time. Yeah. And like that blows people's mind because he's the namesake of the movie and probably the most important character. Well, maybe not most important, but you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. 
Chris Cooper kind of feels like this. He's he's a bigger character than his screen time would probably suggest if you just saw the stats on it. Yeah, for sure. We got Laura Dern in this movie. I loves me some Laura Dern. Yeah. Dra- Jurassic Park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's Ellie Statler, always going like, to be. Classic Laura Dern. I think for me, Jurassic Park is, is her biggest role in, in my in my mental library. Definitely. Oh, yeah, totally. Most recently, she was in The Last Jedi. She was, yes. Hold up. I loved her in that movie. Yeah. And I know that movie wasn't particularly well received by a lot of the fanboys, yeah, but better than the most recent. I fucking I fucking jam on on that movie. You weren't you weren't a fan of the most recent? No, no, I'm saying I think the the backlash has been even more significant with the with oh, more recent. Yes, Star agree, Wars agree. Yes, I I I completely agree. I think the backlash has been worse, but yeah, no, I thought Laura Dern did a bang up job in that movie as well and, you know, she's killing it. Mhm. We got Chris Owen in this movie, so if you guys remember the American Pie franchise, he was the Shermanator. This dude's, he's been around, man. He, he comes up here and there. A really... Sort of pops up when you don't expect it. Yeah, he's a good actor. Um, kind of unique. He's got a unique face, unique style. He plays the... Awkward, yeah, smart guy. Geeky smart guy. Borderline creepy sometimes. It's the red hair. <laughs> I think it is. it is. Yeah. I think when you have red hair, you're either going to be... Uh, like, really likable or really... Not? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. No one in this room has red hair. So, like, we can talk about, you know, gingers all day and no one will get offended. I mean, you say that. You don't You don't know if my carpet matches my drapes. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Whoa. Wowzers Castle. <laughs> that is a crotchal joke. Also in this movie, we have Chad Lindbergh. He played Jesse in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Oh, you brought up, he was also Phoebe's brother-in-law yeah. in, in Friends. Yeah, he was the one that um, that ended up adopting the triplets and then didn't sleep for years. I liked him more in Fast and the Furious. Yeah. I mean, I love Friends, but... He's honestly a little bit forgettable, which is why I was kind of surprised that I was able to pull that out of the vault. Dude, he's funny as shit, though. He is. He's hilarious. All right, so would we recommend this movie? Definitely. A hundred percent. This movie called back to, like, just, just movies with meat on them. Like, yeah. I I don't think this movie can be spoiled. I know we're going to get past spoilers and we're going to talk about it for people who actually care about those kinds of things, but I think there there's a certain, like, tier of movies that are, like, so good that, I mean, you could read the script and then still get something out of watching them. I am still pissed at the person who told me the Titanic song. Yeah. I yeah. just, why would you tell me it went down? That was pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie. That's like the most significant part of the movie. Yeah. I thought I thought it made it to port. Yeah. Perhaps. Well, that's Unloaded the important the passengers part. and... Whew. <laughs> Whew. I would also recommend this movie. A jam on this movie. Like I said, if people have not seen it, I go out of my way to get this movie into their hands and watch because it's fun. It's inspirational. It's a good family film. I mean, it's just one of those movies where like you'll notice yourself smiling while watching it. And, and that, laughing. Yeah, it's... and that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, we need those kind of movies out there. Yeah, I don't think there's any fluff to this movie at all. Like, there's... It's, it's all just heartwarming. And there's moments in this movie where, you know, they, they say a line and you just can't help but laugh because, I mean, it's four high school boys. They say stupid shit, and it's hilarious. Yes, they say stupid shit. Yes. Not like 330-somethings in no. somebody's basement. No. We don't say stupid We don't things. say stupid shit. I've never said a stupid shit in my life. I never said a stupid shit. I'm pretty sure that Colin just had a stupid shit. I just stupid shit my pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that what that sound was? That's that's on tape. I thought that was the rocket. Yeah, oh, that was playing the sound effects. Yeah, that's what it was. Doing it out my butt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's multi-talented there, Colin. Yeah, well, it was Super Bowl yesterday. I didn't treat my body very well. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've all been there. Violent. Uh, a little rocket fuel. No, I have a child. I didn't actually watch the Super Bowl. That's a lie, too. I don't have any excuse. I did oh. not watch the Super Bowl. I do not have a child. I just was not interested. Are we Ooh. ready to... Spoilers! Wow, I kind of like held that one back. Yeah, yeah that was a little bit. That was tepid. Was, yeah. Uh, so we like are... some other things. <laughs> Truly. We are deep in spoiler territory. Um, what was the date? What was the date on this movie? It was uh, 19... 1999. Well, oh, when did it take place? Oh, uh, 1954. 54? Yep. I... October 5th, 1954. I trust your memory yes. on this. Yeah, Mark. I knew it was in the 1900s, everybody. <laughs> okay. Being you know, that it was filmed in the 1900s, that would make sense. <laughs> uh, so, yes. first scene. Kick us off. Where are we at? So, the first scene, actually, I made a note of this right away. This scene is fucking awesome basically the movie launches uh, no pun intended <laughs> with the launching of sputnik and the movie basically follows around the townspeople in this relatively small mining community coal mining specifically and basically everybody through different means is listening to the radio to the the news station talk about the launch of sputnik and what does it mean and anxieties are high and you know what are the russians trying to do and really capturing the fear and anxiety that was sweeping the nation at this time. It's just cutting to different people in their different settings watching this. And the scene closes with a coal miner getting into an elevator, a coal elevator. Well, not a coal elevator, a people elevator for a coal mine. And he's got a radio like right next to his head. And he looks up at the night sky and the elevator starts going down and it starts getting staticky and eventually cuts out. And it's such a beautiful setting of the stage for this movie because it's both showing how this town is connected and disconnected from the world. And it was really foreshadowed the struggle that the main character was going to undergo. Like basically, was he going to go underground and let his dreams, his connection to the outside world into space, shrivel and die and, and fade into static? Or was he going to stay above ground and, and fight for what he wanted his life to be? Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a really like symbolic, really metaphorical scene, and I just fucking jammed on it. When I was watching that scene, some of the thoughts that I had was I it was striking to me how uh, we're a good 50, 60 years past the setting of this movie, probably a little bit more. And we read about Sputnik in, in textbooks now. You know, this is seen as historic time, you know, as something that we should look to for inspiration. And sometimes we forget how that event was interpreted through the lens of the time. And I just found it really striking that... The idea of progress as a, as a species was viewed as a source of anxiety because it wasn't us who was making that progress. We weren't able to see past the red and blues of things. I mean, we, we still can't now. I think maybe that we're getting better. I would hope that we were getting better. This is getting more philosophical than I mean it to, but it just really kind of st struck me a little bit when I was watching it, just that something so profound, our first venture into space was just a source of anxiety for people. It's sad, but I mean, it's I understand why it was the way it was, but I think that this kind of captured that in that first scene. It is kind of interesting that you took that sort of approach that like it is kind of sad 
had that we couldn't see past our own local political sphere to see how grand this event was. But I also think it's kind of interesting that the main character sees this and he's the one person who mm-hmm. doesn't see it that way. He's the one person who is looking up at the night sky, seeing Sputnik go across the sky and thinking like, oh my God, how amazing is that? I want to be part of this. Yeah. He really broke that mold. And that's basically the second scene is Homer, along with like the rest of the townspeople, are seeing Sputnik for the first time. You could see it in the night sky. It was, you know, not a particularly high satellite by today's standards. Still visible. And he immediately gains an interest in rocketry and in sending things to space. He mm-hmm. wanted to do that. And he didn't he didn't know anything about it, you know? He he wasn't a math guy, you know, he was just inspired. He wasn't even a science guy, really. Like he really he struggled with Several pieces of the STEM acronym, (laughs) this guy. And I love that they portrayed his struggles as a very real obstacle for him to overcome to realize his dream and not as something that he was just innately gifted in and he cruised right in. Like this dude had to put in the fucking wrench time and he did and he didn't do it casually. Like, and this guy was up late because he wanted to, he had to know these equations or, you know, these principles in order to do the thing that he wanted to do. And so he ends up dragging a couple of his friends in, his two closest friends, and they quickly realize they're in way over their heads. They have no idea what they're doing, so they need to enlist the help of a fourth. And the fourth came in the form of Quentin, who is... The the, school nerd. The nerdy kid in school. The pariah. By a very real standard. Like, you know, this is not like today's nerdy kid in school. This was like the 1950s nerdy kid in school, where like, I don't think another kid had said, like, a non-derisive word to him in, like, four years. Yeah, Yeah. he he was a real social leper. There was, like, a scene in the cafeteria where he he wanted to ask Quentin a question. This is Jake Gyllenhaal's character. And he he walks over to the table that Quentin's sitting at and kind of asks him a a question. Quentin looks up at him and kind of has this, like, almost disdain for being even, like, talked to because he's so accustomed to being berated. Gyllenhaal then like kind of looks around and notices like pretty much everybody in the cafeteria is paying attention to what he's doing and he like sits down next to him and as soon as he sits down the whole room just kind of starts murmuring like it's this big deal that Mm -hmm. he has just cast himself in with the loser club and as soon as he does that it's so funny too because Quentin's character like recognizes that you have just thrown away your social status I'm interested now. I will <laughs> yeah. answer your question. Yeah, he like You've immediately paid your debts. He immediately turns around and befriends him and decides to assist him and ends up teaching him everything that he knows about rocketry, which is it's not a ton, but it's a lot more than Homer knew. Homer is Jake Gyllenhaal's character, the main character in the movie, and yeah, it's a hell of a lot more than he knew. And then basically once. He got Homer up to speed with his understanding of rocketry. They kind of use that as a jumping off point to get into other more sophisticated types of like basically they knew enough to build like a pipe bomb with one end open. Yeah. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. from there, through trial and error, their rockets got more and more sophisticated. During their initial launches, they first blew up a fence. Straight up montage, I think, after that. Yeah, a beautiful montage, too. It was great. Blew up a fence, Homer's mother's fence. Then they launch a rocket, and it, it, like, launches into the mine. Now, keep in mind, this is a mining town in the 50s. It's a company town, so... West Virginia. Yeah, basically the entire town is owned by the company... All of the property, all of the houses, again, company town, so you are buying your food from the company, you're buying your housing from the company, they own you. Yeah. They own you in in more ways than one. It's a step above indentured servitude. So, very small town, they launch this rocket, it goes 
into the mining facility and like almost clips a couple people and they get told off by homer's father who runs the mine he's not the owner but he's the manager of the he's mine he's the foreman yeah basically says get the fuck out of here don't be launching these things around here ever again. Or on company property. I don't want to see this on company property ever right, again. Right, right. You know, which is effectively... The town. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, he's, he's the foreman of the company, or of that particular area. And he's sort of like the like de facto mayor of the town because of his status with the company. It's yeah, they should have called him a five-man. He's a, he's a five or six-man. Definitely maybe. a five or six-man. I mean, that's, that's science. Or math. Or... English literature. Yeah. Could look, be. Look it up. Could be geography. <laughs> facts. It's, it's facts and, and you know, this then there's science and then uh, you know, we got the we got the greatest scientists around here. You wouldn't we, believe it. We don't do we don't do fake news in no. this podcast. You, huge, huge. Huge news. Huge. We do huge science. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> so reminded me with science. <laughs> Almost kills a guy in in the the mining facility there. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Um, gets told perfect. off by his father in a very public way, like really, really kind of berates him in front of people. And I think that that is one of the first injuries his his father gives him in this movie. He does several times, not in necessarily like a, in a physical way, but he's he's sort of like the dad that like you want in a pinch, but not the dad that you ever want to sit next to. It's a little like Red Foreman. Yeah. Also a foreman. He, also a foreman. Yeah, so I think, like, the best scene for his dad, and this is also, like, a great quote from the movie, best scene to illustrate his dad, and I think it's actually the first time you see his dad. Homer runs up because they hear that there's a collapse at the mine, and you kind of, you see what's happening inside the mine, and you see this collapse happen, and then the next clip, you know, cut to the surface, you don't know what the result of it was, and his dad and a whole bunch of people end up coming out. And the guy who basically was going to collapse on, his dad had saved his life. And he got away with basically minor cuts and bruises. And everybody's like, that's, you know, John Hickam. And he saved this guy and blah, blah, blah. And Homer is listening to this praise for his father. And, and he says out loud, he's like, that's my dad. And then, like, immediately, his dad rounds on the person whose life he just saved. He was, he was unconscious, and as soon as he's, like, lucid. Yeah, he, like, yeah, as soon as the, the guy he saved is lucid, he immediately starts just ber berating, berating him. him, and he's just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, he doesn't say fuck, but, like, get out of here. You know, you're not welcome here anymore. I told you to not do that, and you did it, and blah, blah, blah. It's like... You could have killed everybody here. Yeah. That, that roof could have collapsed on you, and you're done here, and I don't know want to see you at this mine ever again and then homer says the exact same thing again but this time he goes that's my dad <laughs> like that is such a great characterization of his father and it was like it was a simple scene the writers knew exactly what they were doing but they made it exactly what it needed to be chris cooper's character he cares about his family he cares about his town and his workers he cares about his son even though it doesn't seem like it but he is like this nasty just a force to be reckoned with stone cold man who shows no emotion and you know he'll save your life but then he'll like fire you publicly and shame you and then throw you out of town and it's like well i mean he'll help not just save your life like he'll he'll put his own life on the line like yeah he'll, he'll right jump in front of that bus to push you out of the way 
with no regard for his own safety. And then he'll bill you for the tire track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yep. He's such an amazingly complex character. And to be honest, there's not a lot of people I can imagine playing that character other than Chris Cooper. He fucking nails it. He rides that line so well between like, I love this guy and I just fucking loathe this guy. Yeah, um, he's a hard character to like because he's just an asshole most of the time. You know, doesn't really treat his kids all that respectfully. Doesn't treat his wife very respectfully. His whole life is the mine. And therefore, you know, he has to devote everything he has to the mine because everything he has belongs to the mine. So it's sort of this really nasty catch-22 because he has to provide for his family by neglecting them. A little bit, yeah. And Homer, as the protagonist, his son, you're sort of following his story, so you're trying to like the dad in the same way that the son would like him or want... He he wants his dad's respect. He wants his dad's love. And he is just not giving any of it. Like, it's, it's brutal to watch sometimes. But yeah, so I digress. They're in this montage where... Rockets are flying. Rockets are flying. They launch that one on company properties. Dad wasn't happy. Kind of berates him a little bit. They end up going to the next town. Eight miles away, they end up walking to the next town and finding this. It's not even a town. It's a patch of asphalt and loose gravel called Snake Root. Yeah. It's it's a slag pile. God only knows why they called it Snake Root. Yeah. And yeah, so it's basically this slag pile in, in the next town in the outskirts. And because it's a slag pile, like it's unlikely to, get, to catch fire. It's good for launching rockets and shit. And nobody's in the way. And nobody's near it. I really enjoyed that scene because I think that the way Jake Gyllenhaal portrayed his character in that scene just just really captures what, what Hickam was. You know, he was a visionary. While his other three friends were kind of looking at, ah, man, we hiked eight miles for this. He's sitting there like, wow, we, we could put this here and we could put that over there. And like, he's seeing into the future. He's seeing what he wants. He's seeing what could be. And that's what sets him apart from everyone in that town. You know, is that he can he can envision what, what can be and what could be. And, you know, I, I really appreciated that. One might say that the slag pile was full of potential energy. Oh, mm. boy. Mm. <laughs> I do like a good science joke, but that was, um, well done, sir. That, that was, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But, uh. I'm a stretchy guy. Yeah. I'm. So this. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this montage, you know, I think kind of leads to talk of the, of the school science fair. I think it kind of progresses relatively quickly. Yeah, it sort of, end, the montage sort of ends with them building a launch pad and building a little shelter to kind of watch their launches through. And actually, that's another sort of like ambiguous Chris Cooper as John Hickam part was Homer approached him for the concrete for his his launch pad. And his dad was like, no, get the fuck out of here. And then like, it was this really cold brushing off of his son and his son just asking for help asking for a, a favor and he was like about to leave and he was like listen there's an engineer was supposed to build this thing and it it uh, didn't work out didn't work out if there's concrete it got rained down it's probably ruined but if you're willing to haul it away basically trying like to make it sound like the shittiest thing like i'm not actually giving you anything if anything i'm giving you more of a problem or a headache but you can take it away if you want and so he like ends up giving his son this this concrete in a really kind of backhanded way. A very roundabout way. Yeah, and so, like, but it was, like, a nice thing to do. Yeah, no, the way the way he delivered that was just fantastic because, like, you really felt 
that like even though he's being just an asshole like that this was a big move for him this was him showing love by saying you can take this ruined concrete that <laughs> has no value and you could lug it eight miles on you know by foot but that was big for him you know and like the way that he delivered that scene like i think uh, at least for me i really picked up on the the gravity of that oh totally and the funny thing is elsie homer's mom has been nothing but supportive in the most 1950s housewife way she can you know she's trying not to anger john his father but also she's she's trying to tell john that he really needs to step up and you know show support for this thing that homer's doing because it's important to him and so i i feel like at some level john heard elsie's voice in the back of his head saying hey love your son care for your son be nice to your son don't be a dick to your son (laughs) and you know that that red flag pops up and he's like all right I guess I can give you some shitty concrete. <laughs> it's the least, I, literally the least I can do, but I'll do it. Dude, his mom was so nice in this movie, too. <laughs> they, like, blew up her fence, and she runs outside. She's like, oh, my God, I thought the mine had blown up. And she's like, oh, Homer, are you, yeah. like, you, oh, you, literally blew up, like, half her fucking fence. Man, she spends most of this movie painting her wall she's painting this like beautiful mural yeah a mural you know up on uh, her kitchen wall there and man just just watching her do that kind of throughout the movie you know in between scenes you can just tell that she has homer's spirit you know she hates the mine she hates what the mine represents she wishes she were at that beach and she painted that so that she could sit in her kitchen and she could stare at it and she could pretend like she wasn't where she was while her husband is doing what he does. It's really interesting. The movie is pretty explicit about the similarities between Homer and his father and it's even like called out in a scene at the very end of the movie how his father's tendencies sort of led to the tenacity necessary and the hard-headedness necessary to get where he got in the end but i think you're right like i i didn't really consider how much like his mother homer was from the standpoint of like creativity and adventure adventure and like seeking the outside like yeah he he has his father's resolve with his mother's like, like vision. vision and dreams. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, basically they ended this montage at having launched a handful of rockets and their teacher kind of catches wind that they're doing this and suggests that they enter the county science fair. Yeah. So they're, they're working towards that and we've got a few scenes in there, but eventually we have the local police, they show up and they end up putting the boys in handcuffs. There was a, there was a forest fire not too far away and they found the source of that fire and it, and it was a rocket. That's what they said. They said, this is, they, they found a rocket. They know what it was. And they, they ask them, can you account for all of these rockets? And we, as the viewer had just witnessed that montage and Homer admits, no, they, they can't account for all of them. Some of them went missing. Yeah. And so after the teacher suggested they go to the science fair like homer gets really excited because she says like oh there's a lot of scholarships available to winners of the science fair or even people who do really well and that's what homer is looking for he's looking for a ticket out he's looking for a way to go to college and he sort of like doubles down and they work harder and they enter in this second montage where more of the town is behind them and helping them and like they're showing up at their launches and the rockets are getting bigger they're getting more sophisticated they're not blowing up anymore they're actually launching and they're launching in the direction that they intend and and you see them getting better and better and it's this later suite of rockets 
that they end up claiming to have found that started the fire because these things are going, you know... Miles. Yeah, miles laterally and, you know, probably nearly as far vertically. Like, they're going very, very high. Yeah, well, I think the officer said that they knew it was a rocket and they, they didn't know where it had come from until they saw the paper. So it wasn't until the town started showing up and papers were being, you know, articles were being written about what they were doing that the authorities were able to, what they believed, put two and two together. Yeah. All four boys end up getting arrested. Shit kind of goes down at that point. Yeah, that's really the low point of the movie, I think. It is totally. It's definitely important, too, because you see them get hauled off in front of all of their classmates, all of their teachers, pretty much everybody they know in handcuffs. And, you know, it cuts to Homer's dad bailing him out. And you've gotten a pretty good feel for Chris Cooper's character, John, to be less than patient and to have to bail his son out of jail. Not only is his son terrible at football, which is sort of a big deal in West Virginia, but he also really hates the mine. So his dad is not exactly pleased to bail his nerd child out of jail. And it's like Mark said, it's really a low point for this movie because you, you, you definitely see the little bit of confidence that his dad subconsciously had in his son just kind of fade away at this point. Yeah, and it's also like an interesting scene too because it's another scene where you see both sides to Chris Cooper. Like he says some really cutting remarks to his son and they're like walking out to the car and you're just like, you feel like complete shit. You feel like Homer does. And across the street, you like hear a commotion and it's one of Homer's friends and he's getting beaten up by his stepdad. And Chris Cooper, John Hickam, tells Homer like, get in the car get in the car right now. So Homer gets in the car and Chris Cooper runs across the street to Homer's friend and he grabs the stepdad and like, I think he gives him like maybe one good swing, maybe he just holds him up, but he like tells the friend to get in the car and he says something to the effect of like, if I see a uh, bruise, you get a scar. Yeah, he says, he says like, if that boy's father was around, he would kill you right now. So I guess I'm going to have to do it for him. I'm going to lay this out for you. If I see a bruise, you get a scar. If he's limping, you're in crutches. And he just, like, basically lays down the law for this scum-of-the-earth type. You know, people are joking that he's the town drunk, clearly doesn't like who he is, what he's doing, blah, 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 and he's taking it out on his stepson. And Chris Cooper, like, stands up for the little guy and, like, fucking lays down the law for this piece of shit. And it's really cool to see coming right on the heels of some really fucking shitty stuff that he just said to his son. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very powerful scene that just once again illustrates that that fence that Cooper's character is is on. Uh, so following that, yeah, it's kind of not looking good for these boys. Like they can't do their rocketry; everything's sort of falling apart. They end up the setting police, their shack on fire. Yeah, they burn it down in like this sort of ritualistic move. They just like Molotov cocktail like their Viking funeral for their <laughs> for right. their rockets. Yeah, yeah. So you you really kind of get the impression that this. That it's it's all done. They're they're closing the book on it, and to make matters worse, there's there's an accident at the mine. Yeah, that's definitely the next like big like. There's the, there's the lull of like them sort of getting rid of their rocketry stuff. A lot of it got confiscated by the police, and then you know burning down the site and all that stuff. And then yeah, the next thing that happens is there's like massive cave in in the mine. And one person gets killed. Several others get injured, including John Hickam, Chris Cooper's character he's unconscious hauled away in an ambulance and of course in typical fashion you hear somebody say if it wasn't for john hickam dozens would have died today so he goes to the hospital 
the family doesn't really know what's going on, what's what's going to happen. They end up getting the news that he's injured pretty bad, but he'll he'll make a recovery. But he won't be able to work. Won't be able to work for a while, and the company's not going to pay for it. Not it's not going to pay for all of it, which is fucked. <laughs> devastating because that's all of their money yeah which i think is like kind of funny like just as an aside because this movie kind of feels like it has a strong anti-union sentiment which i'm not like totally cool with Mm -hmm. but then they have scenes like this and you're like no the company's definitely the bad guy yeah like like your foreman who is defending you against all of the people who are like fed up with your shitty practices fucking gets caught in a cave-in and you won't even cover his fucking medical bills like how monumental of a piece of shit do you have to be to not do that right and so like there's these tiny little scenes where like the company is clearly the bad guy but it's like not really like it's not really uh gone into in any great detail but then there's like a whole lot of like very anti-union sentiment otherwise that's that's sort of a a slow burn on the on the back end which is really just surprising it's sort of scary yeah a little bit and i mean like it, it didn't feel like they were trying to capture the sentiment of the town at the time it felt like a little bit more than that and maybe i'm just reading into it maybe their goal was to just capture the conflict in that town circa, right circa 1954 who knows but yeah, so anyway, his dad's out of commission and his mom doesn't really have any marketable skills and his older brother is going to college for a football scholarship. Uh, on a football scholarship. And if he were to pull out, he'd lose the scholarship. Yeah. So in a real just kind of falling on the blade, Homer says that he'll drop out, he'll go into the mine. Uh and he does. Uh and it's it's a really like I said, I mean, we had that, that low point where he gets arrested. This is just another beatdown. You know, this is him. Accepting his fate. Yeah, yeah. Or at least initially, yeah. Dude, know? that's another thing that we, like, really haven't covered yet is, like, just constantly in this movie. I mean, it's it must be, like, a dozen, 15 times, something like that. You get reminded that the only option for every male member of this community is coal mining. Yeah, the principal is berating his teachers because, you know, he like, he doesn't say this, but basically they're just, they're running a factory line of, you know, coal miners. They're, I mean, he sort of does when he said, like, you're giving them false hope. Yeah. They, it would, he said, I think, a lucky one might get out on a football scholarship now and then, but everybody else in this town ends up down there. Yeah. Fucking hell. Like, the principal right. of the school is like... You fall off our conveyor belt right down a mine shaft and you start digging. Yep. Until you die. Until you fucking die. Yep. So it's cruel, cruel. Super, super heavy. So he, we see, it's not, I guess there are, it's not, it's it's not really a montage, I suppose, but we see some, like, some scenes where he's in the mine and he's. Yeah. And like, let's just talk real briefly about the scene where he actually drops out. Like, I don't think it was any it was any mistake, but it hit me so much harder than it has hit me in the past when when watching this movie. But like that principal is like I mean the the scene is set up like the principal is the devil, yeah, and Homer is signing his soul away. Like it's a very dark kind of room. Um, the principal is on one side wearing a fairly well tailored suit, dark suit, and Homer is looking very meek and desperate on the other end of the table. And the principal pushes a contract towards him and basically saying, 
you're doing the right thing. Coal mining's an honorable profession. Blah, yeah, there's, blah, blah. There's no shame in coal mining. You should be proud to do this. Yeah. And he's smiling the yeah, whole time. It's it's encouragement. It's not, you know, Whoa. again, it's not that there is anything wrong with coal mining, but like the kid clearly doesn't want to do this and you're the principal of a school and actively pushing him out of the school into this coal mining job because you, you mistakenly think that that's the only profession for any kid. It's, it's a gut-wrenching scene and like the parallels between the sort of classic signing your soul away to the devil i want to say cliche motif motif that's what i'm looking for it's palpable yeah the comparisons uh i really enjoyed that scene so i had to i had to slip that in before we get into the sort of montage of homer's professional coal mining life yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a powerful scene it's it's very sad it's very depressing. You're right. I think you, you characterize him as, as meek in that scene, and he really was. So we, we go through that montage. His friends still come to visit him. You know, he's, he's dropped out of, out of school. He's, what, what was it that initially kind of gave him that inspiration to, to get back out of that rut? Part of the thing I think keeping him in the rut is like his dad does end up coming back to work halfway through this montage, and he is doing nothing but praising praising him yeah. and like showing him all of the love and affection that homer never saw in the rest of his life yeah and it's like oh it's yeah. hard to watch because it, like this kid who was so starved for affection and for a father's love and approval is now getting it doing the thing that he fucking hates most and the the one thing that he could be doing that would be tantamount to like rolling up his dreams and lighting them on fire he literally did that he, did, he literally did he that. He literally did that. He threw a Molotov cocktail of pure ethanol at his dreams and walked away. Yeah. Yep. And yep. now he's in the mind shift. And his dad's like, good job, bud. Yeah. Oh, no, you know what? Proud of you. <laughs> you, you nailed I, it. I think it was it was the bit where they were going back for him and his father. This was in the mind. He said, uh, you know, I was born for this, you know. You know, I didn't go to college and, you know, I, I know more than anybody here. And he says something to the effect of, I was born for this and so were you. Yeah. And, and uh, that's kind of what set off the rocket in Homer's brain. He's like, nope, I'm out. I, I got to figure it out. Yep. I got to do it. I think it was like part curiosity and part desperation. <laughs> uh, he ends up pulling out this old mathematics book that goes into like pretty heavy like trig um, with respect to like tracing trajectories. Tra yeah, tracing trajectories and, and arcs. So he ends up like studying at night and learning sort of like the trigonometry of rocketry and trying to figure out where the one lost rocket that they had would have landed. Mm -hmm. And he ends up working out the math by himself, which is a big feat because he leaned very heavily on Quentin to this point. Mm -hmm. And he ends up tracking Quentin down at his house and giving him the math that he had worked out. And Quentin looked it over and said, wow, he was very impressed. Wow, I can't believe you did this by yourself. And he basically says, okay, so you're right. This is all correct. Now we know, A, that it didn't start the fire because the fire started three miles away and this rocket didn't make it more than like a mile and a half. Yeah, 1.8 miles. Yeah. Uh, so maybe a little bit more than a mile and a half. Little, no more than two miles. Right. Final answer. Uh, I'm going to go prices right on this and say... Uh, 1.79 miles. There you go. <laughs> 795 to be exact. But, yeah. So they, they get this bit of rope and they just start walking into the woods with it. You know, they, they, they know where the, where it should be. And so they're, they're going to find it. 
Yeah, what a like a salt of the earth way of like fucking tracking this down. Like, you know, there's like these fancy calculations to figure out where this thing yeah. would have actually come down. And just, yeah, get a rope of a known size and just I walk, you walk. Yeah, I walk, they, you walk. They had we'll, a rope that was 100 feet long. And then they were doing it in 100 foot increments and tracked it down to where they calculated it should be. And they were like, I don't understand. It should be right here. We did all the math. Everything was right. And they're walking around. There's this great moment where he's like, well, was there wind that day? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Because if there was wind, it would be (gasps) right there. Very scientific. It was, yes. All right. Deep it, science. Admittedly, it was a cheesy scene, but I, <laughs> I, I, do, I did love it. it. It was a well-delivered scene that captured the emotional moment, and that's all that really matters for the movie. <laughs> yeah. But when it happened, I'm like rolling my eyes like, if there was wind, it <laughs> would have come from the west, and it would be right. What are you talking about, son? <laughs> but the way it was delivered, I'm not going to take points away from the movie because no. it... It was a well-delivered scene. It was also, like, a 17-year-old kid, A, in the 1950s, in a coal mining town in West Virginia, where the educational system is exclusively set up to pump people into the coal mine. I gotta admit, like, if anybody's gonna deliver that cheesy of a line or, like, mistake that for true science, like... I'm fine with it. Like I said, it was delivered just fine. I just, I, my eyes still hurt from rolling. <laughs> it was, it was a kind of a cheesy line. Well, but it was I good, think, and they ended up finding the rocket. And... Yeah, and I think part of the way that they did that, you're packing a lot of math and a lot of calculations, and frankly, a lot of man hours into tracking this rocket down. They knew the direction that it went, they knew how high it went, they knew, you know, how far it would go. So they had a very limited, albeit large, area to track down. But how do you tr- how do you capture that much mathematical calculation into film? So I think it was just sort of a shortcut. But again, you know, it it captured the emotion of the moment. It captured what we the desperation the desperation. Because like if we don't find this rocket and prove that we didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. Exactly. There's no getting out of this fucking town because everybody's going to believe that we burned that fucking well, forest. because those two kids knew they didn't do it, and that didn't account for shit because unless they could you have prove, to actually it, prove it, it yeah. did not matter. Right. No. And actually, even once they proved it, it really didn't matter that much. They had to... They still weren't believed. They're like, okay, this could mean anything. And they even, even with the equation and everything, they were like, okay, it could not have gotten farther than you know than this point it wasn't until they got brought to the police station and they saw the rocket that they were talking about it was actually a, an aeronautical flare and it turns out there was an airbase nearby and ipso fatso their names were cleared but can we talk about the police like for okay this kid proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that this that his rocket could not have started the fire. And they're like, all right, fine. 1.2 miles away, a fire started. If your rocket didn't do it, then what did? It's like, dude, what are you, what are you talking about? Of course it didn't start the fire. There's no way it could have. Yeah. This is your job. <laughs> and they, all they really needed was one educated man to look at the flare and be like, no, that's, uh, that's an aeronautical flare right there. It came out of the airport. Uh, Right there. Almost like if they had the principal uh, in the police station, the boys would have never been blamed in the first place. Yeah. But that aside. I think is both cheesy, but also sort of serves to illustrate that, like, nobody gave a fuck. 
it was just like the kids are guilty, including the principal. The principal himself was not like, show me the flare. Show me the thing that you found or not the flare. Show me the rocket that you found that you think started this fire. Yeah. What? He was just like, well, yeah, obviously it's the shithead kids. And I, yeah. I think that's part of it is the principal wanted these kids out because they were doing something that was against the status quo. They were not going into the mines. They were not interested in the mines. And the principal decided that they were going nowhere with this. So I think that once the fire was discovered, the kids made an easy scapegoat and he could shut them down and funnel them back to where he wanted yeah. them. It sounds like so fucking medieval. Like, <laughs> not sending kids into the mines. I just fucking, like, it sounds so brutal and horrible, and it is. And it's just like, I keep reminding myself, like, no, this is fucking 1950s America. Yeah. yeah. Like, sending, legitimately sending children into mines. Like, I, and I don't, I know that part of this movie is, is meant to, like, vilify that, but I found some... I found some humanity in it a little bit myself. Like, I think it did a good job of capturing the humanity of people that that I personally don't see eye to eye with. You know, this is their world. And while it may seem cruel to, like, funnel people into the mine, the entire town existed because of the mine. So you, you can't necessarily fault the residents for just following the path that had been laid out for them. You know, this is before the internet. You know, this is before... Hell, they... this was before private telephone numbers. Yeah. So th this, that was the this future This was before to them. the slinky. Before the slinky! It's true. God! That's... You know? What do they have? Like, balls? I don't know. They had inkies. Inkies! They, were, ma they were made of ink. Yeah. And they did not slink. But, not very well, anyway. But I think that, for me, that, that was one of the... <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to be. I liked it, though. <laughs> That was a major theme of this movie for me is I don't see eye to eye with many of the characters in this movie or, or the many of the characters in the town, but it did a great job of illustrating their humanity. And even though their opinions and their beliefs seemed very backwards to me, they genuinely cared about each other. And that's something that that everyone can relate to. True. They lovingly sent the children to the mines. Yes, <laughs> they cared. <laughs> it's that love call. It's the, <laughs> it's the love call. And if they come back with minor cuts and bruises. <laughs> finish it. Finish it. That wouldn't be so bad. All right. <laughs> Could they be the minors? Well, sure, they're like three years old. Well, minors, they... not minors. Oh, my God. Well, technically, they are minors. They were only 16. That uh, movie is also on our list. I can't wait for Galaxy oh, that's yeah, a yeah. good one. Um, so they they find the rocket. They prove their innocence. Everything is more or less back on track. And it kind of fast forwards to the science fair. Yeah. Um, yep. The the county science fair. Yes. Yes. The first the first gate that they that they need to get through if they want to go to the nationals. Yeah. So the county science fair. It's a pretty quick scene, and they win pretty quickly. And I think like the hurdle that they had to get over was set up earlier in the film, much earlier. When Quentin, who has entered before, said it's it's rigged because all the judges are from this one town and only kids from this one town ever win. And so just having seen them win, even though it's very quick, you get the impression that they really overcame a hurdle there. And then at the end of that scene, the principal comes up to them and unbeknownst to them, the school could only send one person to the National Science Fair in Indianapolis and so all of his friends very quickly round on Homer and they're just like, well, obviously you're going. 
you know, like you were, you're the inspiration for all of this. And he ends up going, things are going really well. He kind of gets into it with his father a little bit before this. And, and his father says some not so choice words, surprise, surprise, uh, very cutting words, tantamount to you're abandoning the family, get out of my house kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. you, you clearly don't care about us. You only care about your rocket stuff, which is total bullshit. But so Homer's in Indianapolis, things are going well until he shows up on the second day and his nozzle and his picture of Werner von Braun are gone. His shit done got jacked. Yeah. Like his whole stand was up on cinder blocks and you know, there were tumbleweeds. Yes. It was severe. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so he, uh, he's at this point again, we're at another low point where he's thinking that all is lost. Yeah. Um, because he really needs that nozzle to like do his demonstration. Yeah, yeah. Everything kind of hinges. Other than that, it's just poster boards. Um, so he, he makes a few phone calls. Yeah, he kind of makes a desperate plea to his friends to figure out something to do. And one of the many community members that has helped them thus far, a guy who worked in the machine shop, he sort of enlists the help of Homer's mother. And during this time, there is a union strike. And Homer's mother, like, walks across the picket line to go and talk to his father. And she basically, in a very heartfelt sort of speech and an interaction, convinces him to parlay with the union and end the strike. Basically, exclusively so this worker, who has been sort of on the side helping Homer and his friends, can get back into the machine shop, rebuild this nozzle... And they can ship it to Homer overnight so he can have it for the presentation the next day. And so it's this really touching scene where basically the whole town kind of, well, maybe not the whole town, but several key members sort of rally behind Homer and save him at the last second. And Homer's father even, he didn't do anything very much, but like other than like ending the strike, which was big for him because I mean, it's like it's a pride thing and like. This guy's already been painted as arguably the single most hard-headed person on the planet. Immovable object. Yeah, and he ended the strike basically just so his son could get this nozzle. Yeah, and and he does. Uh, as soon as the strike is over, he kind of walks over to the guy he knows been he knows has been helping Homer. He says, "Hey, don't you uh, don't you have some work to do?" Yeah, that was a nice scene. Yeah, where he's just basically telling him, "Hey, this is why. <laughs> this is why we're here. Get in the shop. Go fucking do what you do." What, just do it, okay? Um, so he does. The part gets, you know, magically overnighted over there, and and Homer ends up winning. Yeah, the not before time. arguably the cheesiest line I think I've ever heard in cinematic history. I can overlook this because it's such a delightful movie, and, like, it's sort of, it's fitting. Family movies tend to be rife with really over-the-top cheesy quotes, but this one really got me. Uh, Homer, on one of his nights, he goes to see a movie, in Indianapolis, and he like walks up and gets in line, and there's this this couple in front, and this girl is like, the judges always choose the most expensive projects. It's gonna be the kid with the terrarium, and then this guy behind her goes, I don't know. Have you seen the kid with the with rocket? the rocket? I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> Oh, it was so gross. It was painful. It was so, like they weren't having a conversation before the camera was on, and it was like, "Man, here's your line. Here's your line." I don't. That's you know what that is. I think my only 
like real criticism of this yeah. movie was that one quote yeah. yeah it was it was it was painful yeah it was not it was not good but you know what the rest of the movie is is so good that i we, can i'll give it a pass we all need blemishes like everybody needs a freckle or two right like, you know, yes. like, this was the morton's or, toe this, on october sky it was okay. and you will not be able to miss it when you are watching this movie no doubt so, as you can imagine, Homer ends up winning the National Science Fair, and it's it's a pretty touching scene. Unbeknownst to him, ends up meeting his one of his heroes. Warner the, Von Braun. Warner Von Braun walks up and shakes his hand. And then he goes back to the town. The entire town has rallied and, like, greets him at the bus station. His, his dad is not there. Shock. Um, also not there, also not present, is his teacher, who, you know, we haven't talked about much, but is a very critical character throughout all of this, played by Laura Dern. Miss Riley. Miss Riley. Um, she has Hodgkin's disease, and it kind of progresses throughout the film. And it progresses more severely when Homer is is working. And so he loses touch with her both because he's not at school anymore, but also because she's in treatment and she's she's very ill and so he ends up going to see her after this and it's a very touching scene i really like this scene where he basically like um let me rewind the tape real quick uh, there was a scene after homer was working in the mine where he went and visited his teacher and this is the scene where it gets revealed that she has hodgkin's disease and during that scene she sort of reveals that she feels a little guilty because in the same way that the rest of the town was pushing all of the kids into mining she was pushing these kids specifically the ones that she saw this promise in to pursue their dreams because she sort of felt like her life's work was teaching and she felt like if these kids succeeded and got out of this town and and did something you know miraculous or at least something different she would have succeeded and and she could feel like her life had meaning and so she sort of reveals that and then Later, after Homer gets off the bus from the fair, he realizes the teacher isn't there, asks about her, and he rushes to the hospital. And, and it's a very touching scene where he sort of gets to reveal to her that they have taken first place in the National Science Fair. Scholarships are on the table for all of them. And after that setup where, you know, she sort of revealed, like... How important it was that he succeed. Yeah. And success really being determined by, like, following his dreams. And, and not just his, but all four boys which, you know, required them to get into college and to pursue this type of very academic track. But yeah, no, it was a, it was a very touching scene. Uh, and then shortly after that, Homer goes and visits his father at the mine and thanks his father for what he did to get that nozzle to him. And his dad makes some, you know, again, some cutting remark, like, got to meet your big hero, referring to Werner von Braun. And Homer comes back with this very touching retort. The The essence of it is you and I are the same person. We're both hard-headed. And the, the only reason I got this far was because of the, the qualities that we share. And Dr. von Braun is a, an amazing scientist, but he's not my hero. Mm-hmm. Implying, he never says it, but implying that his dad is actually his hero. That was um, such an amazing scene to me. That was that was so wonderful just because Homer didn't get a whole lot of support, you know, on the front end. Uh, John was clearly supporting him in the only way that he knew how. Not by showing love and affection and praise, but by making sure that his dream wasn't for nothing. You know, making sure that all of this time spent in the basement building rockets, making sure that all of the people that he almost killed by shooting rockets off towards the mine didn't mean nothing. 
and so you know he made sure that he got the nozzle and he made sure that he got the concrete for the launch pad so you can see him quietly supporting him through this and homer knows this homer realizes this and he's like look you big dumb idiot <laughs> i love science you know i love science i don't love the coal mine you and i both know that but you have been an inspiration to me and you've helped me through this and for that you are my hero you know you've provided for this family and you've given me the opportunity to get this far in life therefore stop being bitter you dumb bitch peace out i'm gonna go do science right yeah no it really is a mic drop it It really really, yeah. yeah and also embedded in that scene is homer for what feels like the millionth time, but it's probably only like the third time so far in the movie, invites his father to see their final launch, the last rocket that they have. And of course, the entire town's going to be there, and his dad's like, I gotta work. You know, and and it, there's a really hard-to-watch scene in, in the middle of the film after one of the times he invites his dad to see a launch. His dad says, no, I gotta work. And he comes back with like, why don't you ever have to work when my brother has a football game? You always make time for that. To which his dad awkwardly responds, what time is the launch? Yeah, and then doesn't show up. Yeah. So yeah, in this ending scene, he invites his dad, and his dad says, no, I gotta work. And they're gonna launch the rocket, and, you know, at the very last scene, he's thanking everybody in the town, and his dad shows up eventually and ends up pushing the the button, and in a very touching end, like, puts his arm around his son, and, and they share a stare of, like, you know, I'm proud of you, like, you know. It's a heartfelt movie. It's a family movie. At the end there, it's heavy-handed, but in a good way. You know, they really call everything out. It's just, this is how you are. This is how I am. This is the nature of our relationship. And this is where we're going. And, and you and know. this is our town. And this is what we do. Yeah, let's reconcile. Like, yes. you know, yeah. it's it cool. It's kind of touching. But I, I liked how three-dimensional uh, the older Hickam's character was. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, there are little scenes kind of spliced in throughout this movie that don't serve the narrative, but serve to fill out his character like there's a brief stint where you see him talking to his bosses or the the owners of the company and they're talking about layoffs they're talking about how unproductive the mine is and how they're gonna have to shut it down and they're gonna have to lay off half the workforce and you see the older hickam kind of sitting here trying to negotiate with him well what if we did this if you if you let us uh dig another tunnel you know we can we can get at the mine like to me that is just showing you what is on his dad's plate and he really has this sense of like obligation and duty and responsibility for the entire town and so even though you view some of the some of the harsher sharper words that he uses towards his son throughout this movie as you know you view them through homer's lens and they seem they seem a little you know one-dimensional the movie does a great job at like showing that like dad is doing the best that he can with a town that is falling apart and all he knows is the mine and the mine is not providing as as he expects it to and i don't know i was just really touched by by his performance and how they they did a great job of filling in with just these little scenes that again they didn't serve the narrative but no, I completely agree. And, and like, the character complexity, even though Chris Cooper's character is definitely the deepest in this movie and the most complex, every single character had just layers and layers of depth to them. Even the characters that could have very comfortably just been shallow. They decided to not do that. The two that jump out to me are Homer's brother. They could have just made him a meathead. Yeah. But in a very defining scene in the beginning of the movie where you sort of get a taste for 
Homer's tenacity and his resolve. He's trying out for the football team, and his brother is already on the team. He's like the star player. And his brother goes up to the guy who's going to be squaring off against Homer and says, take it easy on my brother. And, you know, of course, the guy... The guy is taking it easy, but Homer is sort of weak and he's sort of out of shape. So he just gets keeps getting bulldozed. And again, it's sort of to show his his tenacity because he keeps getting up. He keeps, you know, persevering and, and getting back in the fight. But I also like that scene because it really shows that his brother is more than just a meathead. Mm-hmm. He's a caring sibling and he doesn't get a lot of screen time overall. But like just from that one little bit, you know, he's more than just the jock brother. Yeah. The other character that jumps out to me with that, and again, it's not super deep, but like for how big the character was in the entire movie, much bigger than you would expect, was the drunk stepdad. Oh, yeah. There was a scene early when they're sort of basically deciding whether or not they want to do this rocketry stuff, and they're kind of going back and forth. And Homer says something to the effect of, like, the mine kills people. And one of his friends says, like, oh, mining's not that bad. And he goes, oh, really? That's why your stepdad is known as the town drunk? Mm -hmm. Like, basically telling the guy's story that the guy fucking hates his life. He hates what he does. The mine is killing him, you know, emotionally and physically. And he's drinking to drown that out. You know, so his character is more than just an angry person beating up a 17-year-old kid. You know, he's he's really only in that one scene. And he's only mentioned in the two scenes, really. But, like, they didn't have to write that in. Mm-hmm. They could have just made his stepdad an anonymous, angry, drunk guy. But they decided to build out the character. And I, I really fucking I jam on that. I really yeah. dig that. character that's fleshed out three or four times... He's seen for about 30 seconds, but you get a very deep understanding of who this guy is and what his motivations are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. The depth of character in this movie is unrivaled, I would say. Maybe not unrivaled, but pretty impressive. Yeah. So was there anything that we that we didn't like about this movie? I mean, we're kind of saying it's praises. Um, a handful of cheesy lines. Yeah. You know, I, if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, they'll probably stand out to you more. But I mean... If you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, you probably don't like family movies to begin with. Yeah. So I'd probably steer clear of this. Don't go in it for the science. I think that the science behind what they're doing is sitting in the backseat for it. You know, there's a few times where they bust out some formulas and you kind of roll your eyes if, if you're trying to pay attention to it. But that's not what this movie's about. This movie is a drama first and foremost. Um, so I'll, I'll give it a pass. I don't think that's really a detriment. I, I got to jump back to the stuff that we liked real quick and oh, yeah. just go over... There's a lot of the, it. The soundtrack and the score of this movie oh, is yeah. outstanding. So yeah. the, the soundtrack was punctuated by these classic 1950s hits. You know, I, I can't, nothing jumps into my head right this second, but think like uh, Rock and Robin, even though that wasn't played in this movie. Uh, I can guarantee you that. But think that and you're there. A lot of Buddy Holly type stuff, yeah. you know? But th- there was that, that haunting, like, stringed kind of melody that, that plays kind of throughout the so whole that, movie. Yeah, so that's what I was going to pivot into. Is like, the soundtrack was very 50s. The score, though, was, yeah, it was hauntingly Evocative. like... Yeah, and it was it was acoustic. Mm-hmm. It was like, like, in one scene, it was like this really deep guitar picking. In another scene, it was a violin. And it really set the tone of the movie, mm-hmm. especially in the more somber scenes. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think I ever picked up on that having watched this before, but I noticed the shit out of it. See, today. it's not something that I paid attention to this go around, but now that you mention it, I'm I'm kind of cycling back in my head and you're right. There's so much depth to the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it starts I think in like the first scene. They're probably playing it in the background, I I think, and it just keeps repeating not in a obnoxious way, but just the various ways that they play this melody. You know, it's it's instantly recognizable as the score to this movie. Yeah, totally. But yeah, not not a lot on the didn't like thing other than some a little bit cheesy writing. You know, the writing I would say I loved it, but maybe some of the dialogue I would give lower scores than other, the other like aspects of the film, but only marginally from like just a a couple of weird lines. I would say it's not even so much a line thing for me. For me, the only thing I if I had to pick something that I didn't like, I think the only thing that bugged me a little bit was the acting on the part of the extras, the little inserts, you know, yeah. the townspeople. It was just pretty flat. But again, they're not the focus of the movie. Yeah, yeah. They are exactly that. They are background noise. They are there to set the stage. And and they did that well, but again, the, it was the delivery for me that was just a little bit derivative is, is pretty much the only word that comes to mind. It's very like, these are character inserts. These are what they're supposed to say. And that is, you know, that is their job. And now they're done. Yeah, almost like in a townsfolk kind of way. Yeah. You know, like, and And right. so it wasn't like... If I wasn't viewing this movie with a critical eye, it probably would not have bugged me. Yeah, and like the other thing, it might be also because everybody who was the focus of this movie could fucking bang. Yeah. Like, dude, those people can step in the ring. And like, it just might might have been like a, a more dramatic, uh, noticeable shift because of what they were juxtaposed with. But uh, are, we, uh, are we ready to move into quotes here? Are we are we Laura Dern with the uh, main section? I I believe we are ready to to light the fuse. Don't light too too close. Yeah, no no open flames in my basement, please. Would be wise to steer clear. You're familiar with the concept of a powder keg? <laughs> uh, so we're we're quoting. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're dude, I, I gotta I gotta jump off with this guy. Um, so this was one of Homer's friends, and it was right in the beginning of the movie after everybody was looking at Sputnik and seeing what was going on, they're all sort of, like, debating, you know, people. some people are anxious, some people are, like, you know, whatever. And he just comes in with, yeah, let him have our space. We got rock and roll. I fucking, <laughs> I fucking dig that. I don't know, that was just a great quote to me. We are thoroughly pacified. We do not need to look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, it also, like, I, I mean... I was gonna say you can't really read into that, but I'm actually just that's I'm gonna do exactly that. You can read into that and think like that's basically the mentality of the town is like anything outside of this town doesn't matter. Yep, we have everything we need, and anything that anybody else has is irrelevant. Yeah, it's a little it's a little reminiscent of that small town, small mind kind of kind of dealio yo. Yep, yep. Do you have any more before I jump in? No, no, no. You go ahead. All right. Um. So my quotes aren't always the most quotable, but I, I usually pick them because they they speak to me or they speak to the character. Um. So I, I've got two this time around. First one was kind of in the beginning during the the montage of uh, of the rockets going off, and I forget which character it is that says it. It's it's one of the one of the four boys, but they just kind of say, "Should we get behind something?" Um. <laughs> uh, which just to me just illustrates like they're having a wonderful time you know like they don't really know what they're doing but they they know that they're they're having fun and it's so haphazard like they're just cobbling this they're making this up as they go 
and they're nearly killing people. They're blowing up fences. Yeah, they're Should just blowing shit up. Yeah. Should we get behind something? Yeah. Uh, and my my second quote was uh, was by the dad, and uh, I think it was already kind of tipped earlier tonight. But um, it's in one of the scenes where Homer is asking his dad to to come see the rocket go off, and he says, "What time are you gonna do it?" And while reading that in retrospect, it sounds very dismissive. That was one of the first times that I recognized that dad is fighting a battle that he's that he's alone fighting this battle. He's trying to support the town and he has this tremendous weight of responsibility on his shoulders. And he doesn't want to encourage his son because he doesn't believe that anything that his son is, is striving for at this time is going to mean anything because all that matters is the mind. Um, but what, what time are you going to do it? He says to him. And he, the way he delivers it, too, is, is, is again, it's, it's just that first peek into his dad showing a little bit of his own humanity. I think that it, that, that line could be viewed as dismissive, but that, that's not the way that I had taken it. That's interesting. I totally took it as dismissive, but that's a good take on it. It's it's a little bit more hopeful. Maybe I'm just a cynic. It's just the first little injection of support that you get from John. You know, he's kind of... I don't want to say worn down at this point, but I think he's come to the realization that Homer's not going to stop. No. And if he's going to blow himself up, John might as well be there to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, that, that scene after he asks what, what time are you going to do it, there's an explosion at the mine. So mm-hmm. his attention is immediately pulled away from his son and what he has going on and is, is straight back to the mine. So I think the reason why that had spoken to me is in that scene, I felt like that was dad saying, okay, maybe I'll be there. What time are you going to do it? Because he's had no problem telling off his son thus far. And that is true. Yeah, it did seem like the explosion at the mine was the um, sort of... Convenient the, excuse the, almost. Yeah, the thing that kept him, but it. I don't think he was boohooing about it too much that he couldn't be there. Yeah, is he, he, can't, he cannot put his son before the mine because the mine is what facilitates the existence of his family. Yeah, know? and like he really is at odds with the the mine. You, you might say it's his enemy of sorts. Like it's <sighs> his enemy mine. I like that. I like God, that. I, had to, I had to walk a, a good distance. Eight miles, maybe. Perhaps. To make that joke. We took the rocket to space and we just kept on going. Found ourselves <laughs> on track. Um <laughs> So what do you what do you got for us this time around, Jax? All right, <laughs> that well, was such a weak joke. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> so ashamed. And on that note, um, I I typically go with the sillier quotes. I like to inject a little humor into pretty much everything I watch, and there are quite a few of them in this film. the The first one that I've got was in one of the very earliest scenes when uh, when we saw Homer's brother say, "Hey, take it easy on my little brother." He gets knocked over by this football player, and then he gets right back up, looks him dead in the eye, and goes, I'm going to run right over you, you son of a bitch, (laughs) and just looks at him with these angry, mean eyes, and it's like, you're like 100 pounds soaking wet. You're going to run over him with what, a Vespa? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) But he just keeps getting knocked down over and over and over, and he just keeps getting back up. And the kid is, like, not at all, like, the other kid. It's not at all like angry or, or flustered. Nope. He just he he just happened to be much bigger than Homer and he's just like running him over. Like and Homer's furious. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
So another uh, another great quote came from one of the townspeople um, when they're first seeing Sputnik cross the sky. You know, the whole town is watching this satellite go across the sky and they're all murmuring things. I hear they can view us with cameras and this and that. And this person says, I hear they can drop bombs. And this lady goes, I don't know why they drop a bomb on this place. Be a heck of a waste of a bomb. <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of right. There's not really a whole lot of significance to the outside world from this town. Very isolated system. And um, my last quote is from John Hickam right after Homer and his friends get arrested for allegedly starting the forest fire. Uh, They're walking back to the car after John bails him out. And he's just visibly uncomfortable. He's so angry. But it's a quiet anger. You know, he's not fuming. He's not yelling. He's not throwing punches. But he says, you know, I've been confused by you. I've been mad as hell at you. But this is the first damn time I've been ashamed of you. So cutting. Oh, that hurt. That's heavy. Because you know, you know why he's ashamed. He just had to bail his son out for starting a forest fire with basically a fancy bottle rocket. And it is so far beneath John. You know, in fact, in the movie at one point, he says, you know, this rocket stuff is a neat hobby to have. And that's when you realize John doesn't give two shits about the rocket. I mean, we know that, but it's the first time he's really communicated it to Homer. So it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's like the 1950s version of I'm not mad. I'm just just disappointed. disappointed. (laughs) It's so bad. And so, you know, he he just looks at him and says, this is the first damn time I've ever been ashamed of you. It's like, oh, that hurt. Uh, Yeah. Terrible. So are we we Laura Dern with quotes and ready to move on to... uh, Let's rate this bee's natch. Ratings? I think so. So uh, what kind of rating you got there, Mr. Collin? I'm going to give this movie a 7.6. I'm just going to have to go 7.6 Laura Dern's. 7.6 7.6 Laura Derns. That's. Laura Derns. Laura Dern. Is it, that's one word? Laura Dern? Laura Dern. Laura Dern. Because yeah. we're, we're. Have you had a little vodka? We're, we're getting Laura Dern. Vodka's. Laura Dern. Yeah. Um, I'm going to echo some of that Laura Dernology um, with your. I, I like your the seven area. I'm going to go 7.3 Sputniks. Mm. Ooh, 7.3 Sputnik. Sputniks. Yeah, no, I thought it was fantastic. I am going to go with a solid 8.1 sky rockets in flight. <laughs> Afternoon delight. <laughs> Afternoon delight. Listeners, I can I can hope that you find out you could you could piece together who clapped. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it's the first time I've ever been berated for a clap. <laughs> a jubilant clap. Well, I, I heard like... you got the clap once in college. Mm, well, that's a story for another time. Ooh, <laughs> intrigue. They call him <laughs> Mr. Pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Roll us out. wonders of penicillin. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Well, that is all for the Old Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at three, that is the number three, men in a basement at gmail.com. 
You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Action Jackson. And uh, we are Laura Dern with this.